I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we are joined by Jeff Mitchell, the husband of Samantha Price Mitchell, who passed away of metastatic breast cancer. He's here to talk about grief, caregiving, and about Turning the Page on Cancer, an annual fundraising campaign in support of Rethink's Metastatic Breast Cancer Fund. Let's talk about it. Uh, guys, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a, a probably a, a pretty deep and meaningful conversation, as if as if like every other episode isn't that. It's uh, just surf, really surface <laughs> just level all surface level shit. No, but uh, we're gonna be having a a, a a a pretty important conversation, I think, with our our new friend Jeff, um, and uh, we're gonna be talking about things like uh, the the role of a caregiver which is something that we've been thinking about a lot recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're also going to be talking about, I'm going to put it out here, a little, like, little, little competition for you guys. MBC. What do you think MBC I'm pretty for? sure I know already. So I, I'm fairly sure. I know what the BC stands for. I do for too. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But do you know what the M what's stands the B- for? What's yeah. the BC stand for first? Uh, business commerce. <laughs> right. Yeah. Masters in business commerce. It sounded like... Rupert- That's right, folks. We've completely changed the show. <laughs> this is a new podcast. No. Uh, breast cancer. Breast cancer. That's right. And I think the What's M stands M? for metastatic. Me, uh, me, yeah, I was. I was gonna say metastatizing. <laughs> yeah, you were just gonna do <laughs> a different. You're a different word. Metastasizing of the word that I used. Okay, well, how about this? Let's throw it to uh, to Jeff. First of all, Jeff, hello, welcome. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with us. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, uh, honestly, honored to be here. Uh, Jeff, why don't you uh, enlighten us? MBC, not Masters of Business Commerce, I'm sure. MBC, <laughs> no, what it, what we, I think we got the breast cancer. What is the M? Metastatic. So you Metastatic. were close. You were there. It's yeah. a mouthful. Yeah. It, it can be tough sometimes. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Took me a couple of years to really get that one down. I feel like Brian added probably like six more syllables than needed. Um, but Brian's uh, got a thing with um, <laughs> words with more than four syllables <laughs> in, in that he can't say them. Uh, metastatic? Metastatic? Breast cancer? You got it. Metastatic. Okay. okay. I um I I feel like a dope because I feel like I've heard um I've heard the the term metastatic or metastasized multiple times throughout doing the show. Um, but I I don't think I recall what the specifics are around that. What does that mean? M- m- Jesus Christ. When you think, now I'm thinking Metast- about the word metastatic, metastatic. There what is, go. what is that? Like, what is the term metastatic? What is it in, in, in relation to breast cancer? So in this particular case, and I'm not a doctor by any means. So, you know, this is a, a layman's definition. Um, it just means cancer has spread from its initial point. So in breast cancer, the breast uh, to other parts of the body. So your lymph nodes, uh, mm-hmm. your liver, your lungs, your brain, bones, that kind of thing. Right. The so last- it's like when they say like, 
the cancer has metastasized to the like lungs yeah, or right. to the lymph nodes. Yeah, except exactly. they don't say, they don't say with a lisp typically. Yeah, right. yeah. and they say right. correctly. Right. They say they typically say correctly. Yeah, I can, can confirm. Yeah. yeah. Can okay, confirm. so Jeff, um, uh, lay it down for us. Why are we here to speak to you about breast cancer? Sure. Yeah, that's a, a pretty big question. So um, I was married to my beautiful wife, Samantha, and she was diagnosed prior to our marriage uh, with um, stage two breast cancer. So early stage diagnosis, she was diagnosed on her 24th birthday oh, wow. in 2014. Um, and during that time, you know, she met with her oncologist and, and surgeon and they said, you know, give us a year of your life. You'll go through chemo, radiation um, and some surgery and you'll have a wonderful life to live, you know, and that, that sort of ingrained the concept of like breast cancer is a good cancer to get. You know, it's it's survivable. It's it's not I don't want to say easy, but but people often said that to us. Um, unfortunately that wasn't Sam's journey with, with cancer. And after, you know, giving them a year of her life and at, at no fault of the doctors by any means, uh, the cancer had returned. It had metastasized, uh, to other parts of her body. So specifically, uh, her lungs, her bones and her brain. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, during all this time, uh, anyone who knew Samantha knew she was just, uh, very loud, very vocal and, and advocated for herself regardless of the scenario and uh and sort of made that her life you know mm -hmm. advocating mm -hmm. for the metastatic breast cancer community because she learned a lot of stuff about it and unfortunately that that wasn't necessarily great in terms of you know percentage of funding that goes to uh metastatic breast cancer mm -hmm. causes and research and whatnot and and what the the unfortunate outcomes are for for most women who are diagnosed with yeah. mbc so the the unfortunate outcome in this case was that Samantha died from her cancer. Yeah, she um, passed uh, July of 2021. July of 2021. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so how how old was she when when she died? She was just short of her uh, 30th birthday in November, so 2029. 20, wow, okay. In terms yeah. of um, or sorry, her her thirty first birthday. Pardon me. Got it. I, yeah. I I keep forgetting that I'm 35. So <laughs> once you like once you pass 30, it, it's sort of it's Jeremy yeah. just says 30. He says 29 and then he goes 35, but I think I was 20, but 29, 29 holding. Yeah. Totally. In, in yeah. terms of you, you mentioned that she was originally initially diagnosed in 2014. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's a, seems like a, a long time, six, almost seven years. Um, what, yeah. Like what was, what was in terms of the journey? So we, we lost a close friend of ours, uh, Brandon to, <laughs> to cancer and, I remember like one of the things that really sticks out to me about the experience of knowing him and, and, and sort of ex going through that experience with him was that like, there were moments where we were like, the cancer's, you know, gone, the treatments worked. Mm. Like this is, we're so full of hope. Like the next can't wait to now move on to the next chapter of life. And then, you know, it would feel that way for a little bit and then it would come back and yeah. it absolutely um, ebb ebbed and flowed a lot. Mm. Yeah. What yeah. Was, there were, there were a lot of peaks, you know, there were a lot of great moments and there were a lot of really bad ones, mm. you know, like you, you make it through the initial diagnosis and, and the initial rounds of chemo and radiation and everything. And you believe you're cancer free and okay, let's, let's start our life again. You know, Samantha's going to go back to work. She had a great career and I was just starting mine. And, you know, we're this young couple, like trying to make our way in the world. And we're like, okay, good. We're good to go. And then, you know, two months later, that's not the case anymore. Mm. You go through those 
treatments. Okay. Things are looking better. You know, it's, you know, we're on the right track here. No, you know, we, we went on a trip with all our friends to celebrate, you know, went to Mexico. It was amazing. You know, she had some issues while we were there, came back, went back to the oncologist. Okay. It had spread more, you know, it's in, and so a a lot of these ups and downs and, and uh, emotionally and mentally, you know, Mm-hmm. Exha- exhausting for her more more so than me you know I, I hate to make it about myself but mm. uh it wasn't well, easy yeah well I mean I mean to that point though I just want to say like first of all uh I'm really glad that you're here um to to be able to to kind of walk us through this experience and in particular I am really interested in your experience of of like through all this um because I think the caregiver or the caretaker role really um really, it really doesn't get enough of a spotlight. And, and I I think it's one of those things that rightfully so people, you know, when someone gets sick, you think of the person who's sick, but the, the role that the people who surround them, that the the people who are involved in that person's life, the role that they have to step into to be, to be able to take care of that person. It is a, it is a monumental job. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I would love to kind of, I would love to unpack and talk about the, the, um, the efforts that that Samantha went through to advocate and to bring awareness to this this cause. But before we do, I'd I'd really love to unpack your experience here. Um, sure. If you can, if you can, uh, I I I I believe you said she was diagnosed um, prior to the the marriage. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Can you take us back to those early moments of of like you know hearing cancer for the first time? Um, what, like emotionally, how did that feel for you? Um, when, when that was like the first thing that was revealed to the two of you of like this, okay, this is cancer. We we now have to make a plan going forward. Like what were the first things that were running through your mind as a, as a young man? I take it you, you guys are similar in age. I was a a couple years older than her, but yeah, yeah, definitely. It, uh, incredibly confusing. You know, I don't think anyone at that age, you know, in their early mid twenties, necessarily has the emotional intelligence to handle that kind of thing that kind of weight you know we're totally we've been dating for a few years and and had an amazing relationship and had just moved out into you know a brand new condo and a cool part of town and we're you know living our best lives and then not really thinking about important things like that you know not really considering it and um when it became clear that that may be something that she had uh it was confusing you know I, what do I say? Yeah, I have no idea even how to comfort yeah. someone with something yeah. like that. And, you know, looking back, I'm a little bit embarrassed because I went back to all those old things like, oh, it's only breast cancer. It's the good kind. You know, it's curable. It's, you know, we'll get through this and stuff like that. And you use a lot of terms like you're going to be you're a warrior and you're going to fight mm-hmm. this. And mm-hmm. those things don't make sense. You know, after this, that experience, I, I learned that, you know, those kind of phrases don't necessarily honor everyone that experiences cancer because it's kind of diminishing people that that have passed or or have struggled with with cancer because you know they did fight but they're not here anymore yeah you know it it doesn't mean they didn't work as hard as anyone or didn't eat the right food or didn't do the right treatment that kind of stuff anyway that's another tangent but yeah um, it's a good point though it's and and and, you know the, the thing to recognize too is that it's not like those statements are coming from a place of of 
ill will. You know, oh, it's like gosh, you, no. you yeah. say those things because you're like, ah, I, yeah. I, I, I have to, I feel like I must offer something. And, exactly. and all yeah. I have in this moment are words. And I hope these words help. But a lot of times in retrospect, we look back yeah. at the words that we use in those hard moments and we go, fuck, maybe those weren't. Yeah. Well, we did an episode, we did yeah. an episode with a link with a linguist who was, which was specifically around language that we use when people are dealing with yeah. cancer metaphors and, like, and, yeah, and me- cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, yeah how you can frame it in different ways and how um, there are these like, there's like, there's kind of like journey and battle. And these are the, these are the two kind of options that we have when there's really this like ocean of language to use that we can use um, and that people feel around their experience with cancer. And a lot of times like journey and battle, like we just don't fall into those buckets, but they're, you know, they're common. So we, we sort of steer towards those. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a very yeah. interesting conversation. I, I, I mean, again, like just kind of in retrospect, looking back at that time, um, and, and I'm curious about this because I, I try to put myself in, in, that, in, in your position, the, the position that you were in. And I wonder to myself, like, you know, even, even amidst all the conversations we've had on this show for the years that we've been doing this, I'm, I'm somewhat aware Again, no, not nearly as aware as it as someone who's been in the position, but I'm somewhat of aware of the amount of work that it takes to be a caregiver mm-hmm. um, in in a position like you found yourself in. And even then, even being aware of that, I feel like if all of a sudden today I found out that Kira had cancer, I don't know if I would be able to comprehend the amount of the amount of work that goes into being that support for someone. Your and experience I, with caregiving a lot is, is through this like chronic yeah. sort of like, um, sort of like in the, in the, not in the background, but like, you know, this like kind of low level, but forever caregiving yes, yeah. instead mm-hmm. of this like acute, this acute intense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so with that in mind, I mean, looking back at it, you know, when, when, when Samantha got the diagnosis, like, <clears throat> were you running through your mind at all? Or, or at what point did you start to think like, okay, this is, na- this is now the role that I'm going to take on. And these are the sacrifices that I'm going to have to make in my life in order to fit inside this role and to, to show up the way that I need to show up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because initially we were really encouraged, you know, based on what the oncologists and surgeons had been talking to us about. So we weren't even thinking about caregiving at that point. It was just like, okay, we're going to make some sacrifices over the next few months, year um, to get through this. Yeah. And then, you know, Samantha has her first chemo and side effects are pretty bad. And then she has her second one and they're worse. And then you start to realize, okay, I can't keep doing what I'm doing right now. I need to do more. You know, I have to play a larger role here at home um, supporting her. And it it was sort of like one of those things that just kind of built up over time, you know, that, Mm. that caregiving mentality or role. Um, and I, I wasn't prepared for it mentally, emotionally. Like I said, I, I just, I had never done that. I babysat a kid, you know, and it's, it's different when you talk about caregiving, it's not just caring for someone and making sure they're fed and, and warm, you know, it's caring for them emotionally and mentally as well. Like making sure that their mental health is where it needs to be and that they, they feel, seen and heard when they're talking about their experience. And, Mm. um, I don't think that's 
something that I had ever considered at that point in my life. So I, I failed originally to be honest. Like I, I, I look back with so many regrets. How did you, you know, you mentioned earlier, like you were, you were very young. Um, and, and even people who are, you know, well into their thirties and forties and fifties. And I mean, some, some people their whole lives, like they never really develop an, the, the capacity to be able to speak to somebody um, in the way that that person might want or need to be spoken to and mm-hmm. cared for when they're going through something really hard like that. Um, and I think that's especially true for almost everybody at that age. Um, how did you, how did you sort of um, cross that bridge and develop the ability and capacity to, to care for Samantha and to speak to her? And like, what were there, was it, were those conversations between the two of you where she needed to kind of like spell it out for you? Or is it something you came to um, just through time and practice or? For sure. I, I think one of the difficult things for Samantha was she didn't really know what she needed. She just needed more, you know, she needed more support from me, more support from her family. Um, and, you know, we had to, had to push a little bit to, to get more specific because I'm so black and white like that sometimes. Like I need you to tell me exactly what you need me to do. And often that's not very helpful. On top of that, you know, I, I went to the internet like most people do. And I, yeah. I read blogs and about other people's experiences and I tried to learn about other partners and how they helped um, their significant other with their diagnosis. I, I bought a book called breast cancer <laughs> husband and read it. And everybody had such a different perspective that it was like alarming to me that there wasn't like one way to do this, mm-hmm. but it also opened my eyes to the fact that um, there is one way to do this. It's, you know, Samantha's way. And I just need to work with her over time to figure out what's best with for her. And she'll help me get there. You know, we had an amazing relationship and we were good communicators, even though we were young. So like, we, we just knew we'd get there at that point mm-hmm. or I, at some I, point. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious about that because I mean, you, you said before that, that you felt like in the beginning you sort of failed at that. Um, but from what you just described like that, I mean, that's a sort of like learning experiences that you have to go through in a, in a challenging situation like that to, to basically grow and stretch to fill that role that like you've never had to, you know, experience in your life before. So well, like, what do you mean by that in the early days that you, you felt like you didn't live up to that? And like, how did you try to grow into that role? Yeah, that's, um, initially I think, I kind of saw this as a burden to us, you know, it was right, like, right. we have all these appointments we have to go to, Oh, right. I bet my day off, we're going to have to go to chemo and, Oh, I can't go out with the guys tonight, you know, stuff like that. You know, I was internally making it about me, which, you know, looking back, like I'm, I'm ashamed of, you know, I, I, I regret, regret so, so deeply. And um, luckily, you know, Samantha was amazing and, saw that and understood it and, you know, gave me the space to grow and figure out what I needed to do as well. Mm. You know, it's, it, it was really tough. And I, I just prioritized things wrong. You know, I, I cared too much about my work at that point mm. uh, in my career and, and growing and being able to support us and, and stuff like that when really, you know, that's, that's a massive regret for me that I put so much effort on that side of my life and not enough on, on the more important side. I mean, I'm curious if you feel like that comes from this idea that like, you know, you were told in the beginning, like sort of that, that narrative that like, this is, you know, it's going to be a really tough year. And then after that, it's, you know, 
should, yeah. you just have to get through this year and and it that'll be fine. I imagine it to be like like not to trivialize this with a, a really shitty analogy. But like but here, here we go, like, ladies and gentlemen. You will. Here we go. <laughs> but here it comes. Come on, Brian. <laughs> Gonna try it, anyway. What do you got? <laughs> but it, <laughs> but to How trivialize it with a really shitty analogy. Um, like I imagine that if somebody said to you, like, hey, you know, you have to do this really shitty job for a year, but once you finish doing this shitty job, you won't have to do this shitty job anymore and life will be good after that. And you started working at this shitty job and it was way it sucked way worse than you thought it was going to during that year. But you kept thinking at the end of this year, it'll be all over. Mm. Yeah. Like I, I could imagine working through that shitty job for that year, even though it's getting worse and worse and worse and sort of resenting the fact that it fucking sucks. And then getting to the end of that year and going, okay, it's done. Yeah. But Absolutely. Then, like, but then being told that like you have to like yeah. fucking do it again and again exactly. and again and it just keeps getting worse. Like that would be the fucking worst thing ever. Yeah. It, it was. And, and that's, that's exactly it. That, that analogy works in my case, at least, you know, when you're told that it's going to probably be okay after you don't really like level set, you don't yeah. go into it thinking like, this is a forever thing. So you don't need to make the sacrifices that you do need to make. Yeah. Brian, you know? and, yeah, and, yeah. And so you just get by, right. Mm -hmm. Bride, I want to say good that act that was a, that was good that was a good that was a good analogy. My my you one set us up like it was going to be really I know. bad. My <laughs> one my one piece of feedback. The only thing that was missing uh, was the fact that you didn't specify the job, which is lifeguard at a lazy river. Correct? Yeah, yeah that's right. I didn't mm, want to go. I didn't want to make this about a lazy river, a bitch. but that's where I was going with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and everybody's just peeing and shitting in the pool. <laughs> yeah, right. the okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, one of, I mean, first of all, I do, I do want to say, uh, Jeff, that um, I really value your your ability to be really vulnerable by sitting here with us and 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 admitting to yourself like the. The way that you, or sorry, admitting to us, the way that you kind of viewed those early days of mm -hmm. of seeing it as like as a burden, because I, to be honest with you, I I think that that's probably a very common experience for a lot of people who are just shoved into this role when they're least expecting it. Um, you know, how else are you to to kind of rationalize what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. And and to be frank, to to be fair, it is it is a massive burden. You know, like it, it, it is, it's not that it's not a burden. And it's um, also fucking hard on you. Exactly. Like it's, it, exactly. It is about like, it's, on one hand, it's about the person who's yes. going through it, but yeah. it's also, yeah. about it's hard for too. everybody, everybody involved a hundred percent. Um, I, I, I am curious about, um, just from the caregiver's perspective, you know, obviously over the span of, of, of this experience that the two of you went through, um, it began to evolve and it began to get a little bit more, um, serious. Um, what, you know, what, for, for people who haven't been in that position before, what are some of the things that you think might, um, kind of stand out or might come as a surprise to people when it comes to stepping into this role as a caregiver, when the person on the other end is starting to, come up against the end of their time here. Mm -hmm. You know, like what are the things that you guys had to consider and the conversations that you had to have where, whether it pertained to finances or quality of life or, you know, any of those things that kind of become front of mind when, when things become, uh, um, when things become like really dire. Yeah. Oh gosh. 
so much. Uh, and, and you you talked about two of them, like finances and banking, and ju- like the the this uh, organization that Sam and I ended up working with called Rethink. They have something called the shit list. It was a document created for for people in this scenario. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have known what to do with, you know, what are Sam's passwords for social media? What are you know, what's her banking password? Uh, where can I find this document? What What do you want your end of life care to be? What, you know, if she's ever, was ever in a scenario where she couldn't advocate for herself, you know, or communicate for herself, you know? Um, and it's shocking to have those conversations as, yeah. you know, a young couple, you know, like she's 28 saying, okay, you know, I, I we need to buy an urn for me. You know, and that's part of my, that's fucked up. You know, that was, that was very, very frustrating. And then shopping online with her, you know, like going through Etsy shops to find the right urn for her, you know, and that broke me inside and it broke her and we, we cried for two nights and, you know, and then it arrives at home and you open a box and there's an urn that your wife is going to be in one day. You know, it's, it's stuff like that, that you don't, you're getting by, you know, the, through this whole process, through through the six years or whatever, you're you're getting by, and you have these conversations, and you have the opportunity to communicate and 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 be really honest and vulnerable with each other, and but then you have to have the really hard conversations about end of life, yeah. and and yeah. I think that was the really the hardest thing that I've I've ever had to deal with up until that point in my life. Yeah, sure. it makes me yeah. um, it makes me think about my my. <clears throat> my wife and I did uh, IVF to have our our daughter um, that was in over the course of like a year and a half or two, almost two years um, in like late 2020 um, up till 2022. And, and I remember like in that experience, you'd have this like status, you'd get into this like status quo where things would be like pretty level and yeah. like you wouldn't really have to think about the shit that mm-hmm. was going on. But then like something would happen, like it was like a test or uh, whatever, or a scan of some sort. Um, and then, and then all of a sudden it was like right back in your face and you sort of like, you kind of became, you were kind of like lulled into a false sense of security in a way because. Absolutely. Like you weren't, you weren't, um, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of just, it was status quo. It was just kind of, it was just kind of going along. It was in a neutral kind of state. And then you'd, then you'd get something and you'd be like, oh, Right. I'm like, this is a part of our lives every day. Mm. And it just like smashes you in the face. And it sounds like those moments, like the urn is like, all of a sudden you're like, whoa. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I couldn't relate more. Even with her diagnosis, you know, there's always another treatment available, whatever it may be. And you're on one until it stops working. But you know, that six months that you're on it and it's working, it's just, cancer's in the background you know you're still living your life you're still trying to do all the other things that that you want to do and then that that treatment stops working so you go on another one and then you start living your life again and things look okay and you're not thinking about time you know you're not thinking about the big picture questions you're not really addressing what the the ultimate result is of all this yeah Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. 
I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. What kind of um, just out of curiosity and, and, and maybe there is no answer to this. Maybe this wasn't a part of the, the process for you and that's that's totally OK. Um, but was there was there any discussion or or consideration around um, around legacy? And, you know, like, did you guys did you guys have any interest in, in doing, you know, wh- whatever that might have looked like for Samantha, uh, whether that be videos or, you know, or like artwork or anything like that, that you guys worked on together or that she was interested in putting together for, you know, for her own legacy before, before she died. Yeah. I, I think she never really approached anything from a legacy standpoint, but after she passed, you know, myself and her family and her friends and this broader metastatic breast cancer community wanted to um, memorialize her in like the best way we thought possible. So um, Samantha had started fundraisers and had done a ton of fundraising um, for a whole bunch of of causes and, and organizations and started one herself called Turning the Page on Cancer, which um, was fitting because she loved, she was an avid reader, worked for Chapters Indigo, uh, and couldn't physically, you know, do runs for the cure and stuff like that. You couldn't do any sort of physical fundraising anymore, which is what a lot of fundraising is, unfortunately. And uh, created this thing called Turning the Page on Cancer. It happened every October, uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And she raised like $180,000 over a couple of years. And wow. um, we're continuing that on. But, you know, the the best way we thought to memorialize her was to keep that going. And we built uh, this beautiful little free library in her honor mm. on, on her best friend's property in Carlton Place. And it's right on a main drag. And it's this big pink library. We built a beautiful garden around it and we have a bronze plaque in her memory and we use that kind of to center all of our fundraising activities and it's Mm. where we we meet as a group you know we um and kick off our fundraising campaign every year so it's it's something that i think is amazing for me because every time i i go to our best friend's home i i visit with sam you know she's there that kind of thing so in terms of, of a legacy for her i think that was the best way that we felt we could honor her and and you know, I'm, I'm assuming she would agree. Yeah, yeah. I, can I, you, I hope can, so. I, I mean, I love that. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about the um about the event, the the sure. turning the page on cancer? It sounds sounds really cool. It is. It's it's uh, it's kind of like a the best fundraiser that I could ever participate in because it culminates with you essentially just spending a day reading or a day enjoying self care. You know, we didn't want to force people who participated um, to read because it's not for everybody, but uh, we still wanted to to be able to spread awareness and, and raise as many funds as possible. So uh, we spent the entire month of October um, pledging to raise funds and, and spread awareness and we get people to sign up. And then on the last Sunday of the month, uh, we spend the day reading either together in groups like with loved ones or or people from within the community or on your own and and just taking the day to, re- to reflect on um, your life and reflect on those you've lost or, or in my case, reflect on Sam and her legacy. Mm, I feel like it's, um, it's a very, the, the piece about not, um, 
kind of like not seeing yourself in in the um in maybe like the popular the pop the popular version of like what um in any cause what like the fundraising or mm-hmm. like the idea that's in the zeitgeist i mean you know i think everybody in the world is probably familiar with like with you know the walks and the runs and the pink ribbon and everything and yeah um and i think it's 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 a lot it's very i think it it, it finds its place very similarly to the conversation uh piece about language and like how you know it's just not what everybody fits into and i think that that's a very um common experience mm-hmm. um obviously there are lots of people that that are in that camp and so that's why mm-hmm. it's become a popular thing but then you know you get people on either side of the distribution curve that are like yeah that's not really my thing i don't really see myself in that mm-hmm. movement yeah um and yeah i and, i, I and on, top, think of, on um, top of that like like the the that to that that thought of like it's not really my thing um speaking from personal experience like there there there's a there's a really weird mental fucking like battle with guilt around that um mm-hmm. like cf for cystic fibrosis cf cf fundraising it's it's like it's an annual walk yeah and that just doesn't like i don't fucking right? care about that that doesn't resonate with me at all and i've gone i've gone to them and i don't enjoy them and, and then if you say you don't want to go they're like Exactly. And well, yeah. what, do you not care about CF? <laughs> right. well, yeah. I mean, you know, you say that and they don't say that, but that's what that's the way you feel. It makes me you, think of the episode of Seinfeld when Kramer does goes to the AIDS walk and he doesn't want to wear the ribbon. Yeah. And they get and the, and then they beat him yeah, up. Right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was the thing. I was always afraid I was going to get beat up at those CF walks. Um <laughs> but 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 there is there's something there's something to that where where like where it, it's a really it's a really weird feeling to be in a position where you feel guilty about not resonating with the the way of raising awareness and funds for the disease that you live with. So, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I don't want to be speaking for Samantha, but like, I could imagine that whether it's not being able to participate in like a physical thing like that, if you're in the middle of hardcore treatments or your, your end of life, mm-hmm. or, or if it's just as simple as going, I don't fucking like walks. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't like, I don't like those or like they just, it, it's not something that brings me, I don't derive any pleasure from it. It doesn't excite me. It doesn't make me feel engaged. So to be able to set up your own version of that, I mean, yeah. I, I love that. I think that, I think that's amazing, especially one that resonates deeply with you. And of course, if it, if it resonates with you, it's probably going to resonate with other people that are similar to you, which is yeah, really beautiful. That that was definitely the hope. I think with the breast cancer community specifically, a lot of the people that participate in the runs and the walks for the cure and whatnot are tip, they're typically early stage folks or mm. people with an early stage diagnosis. Um, and that kind of disconnect sort of echoes throughout everything else within the breast cancer communities. You know, there's, there's a split. Um, and they, and th- these two sides don't often work together because that, because they have different needs and requirements, you know, p- people with an early stage diagnosis want to know that everything's going to be okay for the most part. And they want to know that they're raising funds to help, uh, women just diagnosed and, and to mm. address cancer earlier and whatnot. And those are all very important, valuable things. And Samantha and I were avid supporters of that. We did run in the run for the cure for, for years. And mm. she was, uh, the keynote speaker one year, but, but as soon as her, her diagnosis progressed, we learned that nothing that happened there was going to benefit anyone like her. 
for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do things differently. Mm -hmm. And we, and well, Samantha would always joke, gym class was her least favorite class. So <laughs> I, I remember the, the last yeah. year we, we walked in it, she she grabbed my hand and she's like, we're never fucking doing this again. Like, this is the worst. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, we probably weren't going to do it anymore. And we were going to find a way to do our own thing. Mm. And it's great that we did. And and we've had so much success with it so far and, and so much continued success. And it is resonating with people. And we are reaching a broader audience than just our friends and family mm. and, you know, a, you know, immediate friend groups and that kind of thing. And uh, we're getting support nationally right now. And and it's, mm. it's amazing. And it, I think that really warms Sam's heart, you know, and when she was able to put on events and do things where she didn't recognize people and people wanted to be there to participate because they heard her story yeah. or they knew someone with a similar story, it was like, the biggest badge of pride she she could ever wear. That's really cool. Um, yeah, Jeff. With and I, this is a question because I have uh, that I'm wondering if you know the answer to, or that you, or that maybe you felt. Um, is is the is the the you know the big like pink ribbon um, breast cancer fundraisers and what like is the is the messaging that goes along with that um, very popular and like you said very very necessary and very important. Um, movement around breast cancer is the narrative um more surrounding or, or it does it surround like survivorship and and like kind of um like is it, it it does it feel like it's celebrating survivorship of breast cancer versus um versus going hey i'm dealing with a breast cancer that is ultimately going to take my life and i need to you know like, is that, is that where there's a, is there a divide in that sense? Yeah, that that's exactly it. And yeah, but I just want to make it clear. I'm by no means diminishing what absolutely the run yeah. for the cure does. Like that's amazing work. And, and I still proudly support it. Um, but, but the message and the messaging and, and the people that speak and, and participate in, in most of the events are, are survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great thing that they're, they're there to mm-hmm. participate, mm-hmm. but that's leaving out 30% of people that are diagnosed with breast cancer mm-hmm. um, that do develop metastatic breast cancer and, and do, you know, t- typically pass away from it. And that's a, that's a good chunk of people. And that's a good portion of that community that their needs aren't being addressed. And, and a lot of that funding and that happens at these um, like the run for the cure, for example, doesn't go to causes that are NBC specific. Mm-hmm. They're they're not trying to fund um, treatments and whatnot that could potentially extend life or or you know what my goal would be is to make a a terminal illness a chronic one. Mm-hmm. I think I'm it's really just important. I I, I I know like it's hard. It is very hard to talk about a thing that is like you you're like I love what they do, but it doesn't do the thing that like I need. Mm-hmm. And like, exactly because like yeah. you know it, it, I don't <laughs> I know like we, we're all sort of like we're not critiquing it. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't wasn't that the messaging behind rethink though? Um, we had the we had the founder of rethink on on the podcast a so long time. Yeah, MJ. Yeah. Um, a, a, a long time ago now. Um, but is that sort of like, I, I think that was kind of the idea that rethink was doing is it's not like we want to focus on more than just what the, exactly. <laughs> it's hard to say. I don't want to say anything bad about the pink ribbons. Right? They're great. Right. Cause they're like, awesome. It's not like you don't like what they're doing. <laughs> no, it's, it's as simple as there's unmet needs and they yeah, want right. to, to, yeah. to help that. And 
that's how Sam yeah. and, and got connected with MJ in Rethink and was immediately like, these are the people that I want to help. And so when we raise money as turning the page on cancer, all the funds go to Rethink. That's where mm, awesome. where where we have been supporting the entire time and cool. honored to be able to. Uh, they've been fantastic to Samantha and me and our friend group, and they work with us closely to to make sure that turning the page is a success every year. I, I wanted to ask Jeff just to switch gears a little bit. Um, Jerry, you said you mentioned um, guilt earlier, yeah. And I was I was thinking about trying to put myself in your shoes, Jeff, of like going through that experience of trying to be a caregiver, but also trying to be aware of like your own mm-hmm. well being and mental health during that experience. And um, I imagine that if I was in that situation, I would feel like this feeling of, oh, it's it's probably important for me to check in with myself because, you know, um, you know, given the circumstances where uh, your partner's coming to the end of their life and, you know, that you're going to have to kind of continue on afterwards and, and, and deal with your own um, grieving process after that, I imagine that that's probably... Like maybe at the time you're trying to like shove that away and and like just be present in the moment, but it's it's obviously there. Um, yeah. So what was that? What was that experience like for you? Gosh, it it was a constant battle of, like you said, pushing it aside for the day, the week, the month, whatever it is, and just getting by, right? And then it would always come to a head where I'd be like, I need to do something for me, or you know, and and Sam and I tried so many different things. You know, we. um I've always been a big advocate of like mental health and whatnot, but I, I didn't see anyone. I didn't talk to anyone, you know, mm-hmm. and she finally convinced me to do that. And she, cause she was doing it for herself and it was immediately helpful because I immediately had a space to talk about how I was feeling without feeling guilty about the things I was saying. Um, and I firmly believe everyone should see somebody, a therapist, whatever it may be. And uh, cause it's been um, life-changing for me and it, it's, honestly made me a a much, much better person. And, um, it's given me space to care for myself, which I love. And and Sam was really the reason why that happened for me. Uh, we tried other things, you know, like making sure I was still staying active and had time for myself to, to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be. So for a while myself and, and, uh, one of our good friends, Graham, we met for a beer every week, at least once a week, because Mm. we couldn't Mm. go out anymore as a group. And that's something that we did every Friday, Saturday night, whatever it may be. Um, and so you, you go through these ups and downs of finding time and creating space and then realizing that you have to pull back a little bit because you can't right now, you know, there's a more important thing to deal with all depending mm-hmm. on the circumstances. So mm-hmm. well, um, it's, I'm it's cur- tough. I'm I'm curious of those, like thinking back to, um, our experience of, of losing our, our friend, uh, Brandon or when Brandon died. Um, I remember like there i remember it not really feeling real until um it actually happened and in a way where like i i knew he was getting to the end of his life the situation was getting worse um but even so it's just like like even up until that last day i was like well he's still here he's still here and then finally when <laughs> um he wasn't anymore it was it was like this like this like shock of of like reality set in and and it had finally um happened and i'm curious about the last um few days or weeks of samantha's life and what that experience was like for you 
I don't know if I was naive or not, but you know, I, I was obviously here with her as were um, mo- her family, you know, her her parents and her sister. And I didn't think she was going to die. Hmm. You know, I, 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 there was all these awful things happening and I was still like, there's still tomorrow. I, okay, I got to go to the grocery store and get some f- specific fruit for her because she, she likes to eat. And, you know, oh, I need to order this online. She needs some new face wipes, whatever it may be. And I, I honestly don't think I processed it for months, you know, maybe even a year until it came to the anniversary of her passing. Um, it was, I can't explain it, but it was the most confusing time of my life. You know, I, mm-hmm. I remember she, she passed away at home and she was being taken away. And I, I was just like watching that happen and it just didn't click. It didn't, it wasn't making sense to me. I wasn't, I don't remember being emotional. I just remember being Mm. Pre- existing you know mm-hmm. if that makes any sense yeah um yeah so it, it it took a long time and for for me to get to a place where I think I could really process mm-hmm. her last yeah. few days with us and yeah. and you know I still struggle with it but I think that's know. a very common I think that's an extremely common yeah reaction mm-hmm. to that like you're just there's uh, I think leading up to it they're leading up to that moment I think that there's a like a evolutionary defense mechanism that is wired into our brains to, to not um, accept what is, you know, what if, if you zoomed out, it's like, well, yeah, she's, she's going to, she's going to pass in and that's, and that's, and, but, but you're, you're just going, no, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do that. Exactly. I'm curious about how, how this entire experience um, has, had an effect on the way that you view death now going forward. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a heavy one. Uh, ter- terrified, ter- terrified of it. I can't even, mm-hmm. you know, even thinking about it, I almost get emotional when I, I think of Sam's last couple of days with me. I still struggle. I, I, you know, I have nightmares about it. I, mm-hmm. I still do. Um, and I think I'm more scared of things now than I ever have been, you know, mm-hmm. of like injuring myself or whatever. I terrified of hospitals. Ter- like I just, mm-hmm. I spent so much time at a hospital that if I ever have to go back, I'm going to associate it with right. end of life, you know, and right. I don't want to do that. And I think I've avoided caring for myself in some situations. It, I probably needed some stitches this summer and I didn't go to the hospital because I could not wrap my head around being right there at all. Wow. Well, okay. Interesting. <clears throat> I, I, it's, it's so, it's so funny because I, I feel like, I feel like by, by virtue of the nature of the show, mo- most times I've ever asked that question. I'm, 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 I'm sitting here anticipating the response yeah. to be, well, you know, it's, it's kind of like open my eyes up to my own mortality and it's made me feel a little bit more, like, you know, whatever, like, like almost like it's prepped me more or I feel less afraid because I've been so close to it. Um, I wasn't anticipating to hear that it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's so heavy and still so like front of mind for you. And, and I, you I mean, know, I think I, it speaks to the, it speaks to like <clears throat> the mark that experiences leave. Yes. On yeah. our on our hundred percent. My, yeah. my, yeah. my mom has always said the same thing to me though, about she was, 
you know, probably our age now when she lost her mom um, to breast cancer. And she's always said the same thing about mm-hmm. death and her own mortality. And she's all, like, my mom had cancer um, seven years ago. And, and like even going through that herself um, was like a incredibly traumatic experience. And she struggled a lot to talk to me about it because mm-hmm. she was trying to protect me from, you know, yeah. doing those same things too. So I totally, I totally get it. And Jerry's right. Like oftentimes we will hear people say like, Oh, yeah. well it's like, open my eyes and sometimes i want like i i always it always is that the truth it always <laughs> like just kind of a sliver of it in the back of my mind is like really like, yeah. okay like yeah is, i mean mind I, you typically when yeah. we're asking that question <laughs> it's coming from people who are like <clears throat> advocating for like death literacy and yeah. and like and and yeah. shifting the the perspective of like death phobia death phobia which is which i think the majority of the western world is suffering from this phobia of death um, as opposed to being sort of like open and, and, and like, absolutely, you know, viewing it from a perspective of like, this is natural and, and this is not something that we should be afraid of. And, and, you know, they, that's their MO, which is it? the people we usually ask what that question. But what was the, what was the, I can't believe I forget his name. The guy that we went to see at the, the church, the poet, Stephen Jenkins, Stephen Jenkinson. So when, mm-hmm. when, when he, like he talked about, like, if you truly, truly are able to imagine your own death, your own mortality, yeah. you would break down and, and we totally. with yeah, like, 100%. and be overcome yeah, by that. And, yeah. and I think that that is like, I think a lot of what we think about is like what we're trying, the story we're trying to tell ourselves that sure. like, Oh, I, I accept yeah. it more now. I'm more yeah. okay with it now. But if you truly go to the depths of that, like, like right. a lot, like a lot of things and not to yeah. liken it to not to go, not, not to make a, a poor, analogy oh here we go here we go here we go jesus christ come on but but like like, you know you're going through military training you can go to the range you can do your thing you can do it but like the moment you kind of find yourself on the front lines on the front lines or something that is a yeah that is like i've never been here before and just because i thought about a lot and i trained for it and everything like yeah it helps that i did that yeah but it doesn't make it so the real that thing, I've been yeah. Here before. yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a good point, Jeff. I wanted to, wasn't bad, Tay. That was that was all right. I'm Thank glad you. there was no that one worked too. Yeah, Jeff, I wasn't yeah. offended. Don't worry, you know, <laughs> Jeff. I I wanted to ask something that I've 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 wondered about and I've thought about. My my girlfriend and I will sometimes talk about like what would life be like if one of us got sick and and we're no longer here. And I I've thought oftentimes no longer about, here, like moved away or something. Like we or? died. We died. Oh, oh, okay, like we, thanks. We were dead. Um, I've oftentimes thought of what my relationship would be like with her family afterwards. Mm. Um, yeah. And I'm curious what that experience has been like for you. Oh God, I'm going to, I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, I'll cry with you. It's okay. <laughs> uh, my relationship with Samantha's family is, uh, amazing. Um, love them all dearly. Sam's mom, dad, and and sister are specifically three very important people in my life. Pardon me. <laughs> um it's okay we talk every day every other day you know we we i still attend family gatherings and and all that kind of stuff and even though you know i'm i'm dating somebody else now uh you know they i'm still a part of their life which Mm -hmm. i'm thankful for Mm -hmm. that's really nice i i want to say jeff uh again i said it earlier but I'll, i'll say it again um we really really do value your your ability to be so vulnerable um to to come on here and talk to three strangers um and thousands of other people that (laughs) are just like 
you know, uh, eavesdropping on this conversation. Um, and, and to just be, to just be such an open book. I mean, again, you. these are conversations that, um, that are evidently oftentimes really hard to have. Um, but they are also conversations that are extraordinarily important mm-hmm. and, and they're conversations that not enough people are, are, um, oftentimes willing to have. And yeah. so I, w- I want to say thank you for, for being so upfront and, and, and being so honest with us. Um, and I, I also, I would love for you to just, um, uh, take a moment to give turning the page on cancer, a little plug. I know that, um, you know, you guys just kicked off the event for the year. We're in October. It's happening currently. Um, uh, if anybody is interested, how can they get involved? How can they stay up to date with the work that, uh, you guys are up to? Amazing. Thank you. Uh, first I, I want to say, you know, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to even speak to you guys. And even though you are strangers, I, I have been listening to the podcast and I kind of feel like I know you guys, you know, I've, I've heard your story. So it was, it's, you got, you're so easy to talk to and you make these really difficult subjects easier to talk about, you know, and the fact that you have this platform is, is amazing. So thank you to you. Um, turning the page on cancer. Okay. So, uh, this is, you know, essentially the most important thing in my life now. Mm. Um, you can follow us at turningthepageoncancer.ca. You can follow us on Instagram at turningthepageoncancer. Um, our big event, our readathon, as we call it, is taking place on Sunday, October 29th. Um, you can sign up online at our website to participate um, and, you know, pledge to raise funds or not. You don't have to, you know, for us, Money's amazing, and it, it's our our end goal because we're going to be able to fund more programs. But I think the big opportunity for us right now is to talk to more people about metastatic breast cancer and the unmet needs, unmet needs, pardon me, of uh, women with uh, metastatic breast cancer. So mm-hmm. you can participate in any way you like. Uh, visit us on our website. Follow us on an Instagram. Tons of information there. Um, message us on there. We've got a whole team that like we volunteer our time and we interact with as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Can I ask one more bonus question before for the people sure. who listened to the plug? Bonus um, question. Let's go. One more, like one last thing I'm curious about. We had a friend in here um, on the podcast the other day who lost his his wife um, six months ago and was talking about the challenge of of like thinking about dating somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious. You mentioned that you have a a girlfriend now. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that it's 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 hard to get back into the dating pool after losing for your, sure your partner it, so uh, what was that like I dipped my toes once or twice and I, I had to immediately pull up because I just I wasn't ready for mm. it you know and but I was probably trying to fill this this gap in my life and without having that role of being a caregiver all day every day you know when you're not at work you know there was I had all this time and I didn't know what to do with myself and I just thought that that was what I was supposed to do but I wasn't ready for it anyway when I when I did uh it was fairly easy because like the first person I talked to is the person I'm dating today (laughs) so uh that that made it easy and it's extremely difficult I'm sure it was extremely difficult on her as well because I have all this baggage I have the story I have all this work that I do. Um, but they're incredibly supportive of it. And I'm so thankful for that, that they give mm. me the space, you know, to, to deal with this and, you know, 
with this aspect of my life and then to also devote so much of my free time to fundraising and, and advocating. Mm. So I'm, I'm really lucky, you know, mm. that's awesome. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess before, before we do wrap the, the, the one final bonus question, sweet bonus, bonus question, the PPPS. Yeah. Um, how are you today? Yeah. Oh God. I don't know. Good. I hope, uh, life is just full of ups and downs and, and mm-hmm. it's going to be like that for everybody. I think in, I'm getting by. I'm enjoying life as much as I can, and I'm finding joy in in doing a lot of things again, like fundraising. You know, mm-hmm. this the first year we were doing this, it was really, really difficult because it was a, a reminder. But that reminder is a lot more heartwarming now, and a lot more um, it brings joy to me as opposed to sadness mm. these days. So I think. Um, yeah, I think it's great that I, that I can do this and that our friends can do this and Sam's family can do this together and, mm. and have an impact because it makes us happy, not sad. Mm. Jeff, I fucking love you. Yeah. Thanks, dude. <laughs> thanks so I love much. you guys too. This thank has been you. a real treat. Thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging out. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.